Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for Jesus. Lord, we know that the Bible says no one comes to you unless they come by the Son. Lord, we were told to pray to you in the name of the Son. And Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with the knowledge of your goodness. That, Lord, it would be our desire, Lord, to follow you, to believe in you, to live for you. Lord, we know that heaven is a prepared place. But, Lord, we know it's also a place for people who have prepared hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do exactly that. You would prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 4. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would, would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. The Lord began this section with the statement, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Their hearts were troubled because Jesus was getting ready to exit. He was leaving them. Jesus would go to a cross and die on that cross and rise from the dead and return to his Father in heaven. And so Jesus reminds them that heaven is a real place, that heaven is a place of joy. We learn that heaven is a place of peace. We also learn that heaven is a prepared place. And now we learn that heaven is an exclusive place. The passage begins with an assertion by Jesus in verse 4, and then it continues with an assessment or an argument by Thomas in verse 5, which leads to further assurances by Jesus in verses 6 and 7. The first assurance that Jesus has offered is that they will go to heaven, and the second assurance is that the disciples can know the Father right now. I believe that each person will experience at some point in their life a personal crisis. The need, the desire to know God, to see God, there will rise up and well up within a person a desire to know God. People want to know God, but invariably they shun the God of the Bible. We all want a description of heaven, but few people pause long enough to ask for directions to heaven. The world walks in endless circles, but Jesus provides a compass. He is, in fact, the compass that points true north. He provides the true direction so that we can get our bearing and we can focus on the direction that heaven really is. And so it begins with the way 
to God through Jesus. Look again in verse 4. Jesus says, And where I go you know, and the way you know. He has told them, I am going to my Father. He has told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? The honest Bible student should pause and ask the question, how are we supposed to think about the question that Thomas gives to us? Remember, Jesus has said, where I go, you know. And then Thomas says, we don't know. Jesus has told them he's going to the Father. He's preparing a place. He's going to a cross. And clearly, Thomas meets the statements of Jesus with contradiction and with skepticism. Remember, Thomas is still clinging to the idea that Jesus is an earthly king and that he must set up an earthly kingdom. Because the real problem that people have is political, social, emotional. Jesus needs to free people from the economic bondage that's been imposed by Rome. But Jesus has been talking about going someplace. A place where the disciples can't follow. We may sympathize with Thomas, at least some of us do, at some level. I want to encourage you that probably hidden in the contradiction and hidden in the skepticism and hidden in the doubt is a person whose heart literally wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go where Jesus is going. He wants to follow him. He wants to pursue him. But his heart is completely divided. We live in a world of contradiction where the word of God and skepticism towards God abounds. My friend, Dr. Doug Groteis, who is the professor of philosophy and religion at Denver Seminary, tells of a meeting where a woman shouted, I love Jesus, but he never wanted anyone to worship him. Doug saw heads nod in agreement, and another member of the so-called panel that he was on said, I find the way of Jesus helpful, but I can't exclude anyone's spirituality outside of Christianity. Someone else in the audience declared that Jesus was only a prophet and and that the Quran was more important than the New Testament. I'll be honest with you, it was this problem, it was this issue, this this issue, this claim that Jesus was the only way that, that caused me the greatest concern. As a matter of fact, when I was considering the claims of Christ and considering Christianity, God in his wisdom brought into my life someone when I asked him the question, are you going to sit there and honestly tell me that all of the Hindu people are going to go to hell, that all of the Muslim people are going to go to hell, that everyone who doesn't agree exactly the way that you say is going to go to hell? And fortunately, this person had enough sense to say, I don't know, man, but you'll see. Because the truth was, I wanted to engage in an argument. It wasn't the truth that I was looking for. It was an opportunity to engage this person and to reject what they had to say. 
A wise man was once asked how he had learned so much about so many things, and he responded by saying, by never being ashamed or afraid to ask questions about anything of which I was ignorant of. If I've been guilty of one thing throughout my life, it's a willingness to ask hard questions and to ask them over and over and over again. Do people really want to know and find God? Do they really want to follow Jesus? We can be grateful to Thomas and his great question. How can we know the way? It was the psychiatrist Thomas Says who wrote, Knowledge is gained by learning, trust by doubt, skill by practice, love by love. Unquote. The doubt, the skepticism gave Jesus the opportunity to declare in unmistakable terms his claim of exclusivity. The doubt also gave Thomas an opportunity to begin the process of trusting Jesus. And so don't be afraid if you have a question. And don't be afraid if there is a little doubt. Don't be afraid to ask the hard question because that doubt is going to issue an invitation and the invitation is going to be responded to by Jesus. Jesus is not a good way to heaven. Jesus is not even the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And look at verse 6. His own words, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus will now make the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. Over and over again, he's talked about being the open door, the good shepherd, the seventh I am, by the way, will take place in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 5. Jesus alone is the way to God because Jesus alone is the truth about God. And he alone possesses the life of God. The statement in this one verse does so many things. It prompts so many questions, but it also gives us so many answers. And Jesus begins by reminding Thomas and the others that the way to God is through Jesus Christ himself. No one can find God. No one can reach God. No one can approach God. No one can know God unless they come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse has generated hundreds of books and thousands of pages of, of controversy. The famous theologian Karl Barth wrote, Jesus does not give recipes that show the way to God as other teachers of religion do. He is himself the way. The question that we really do have to ask is, does Jesus really mean what he says? Is Jesus the only way to the Father? Is Jesus the only way to abundant and eternal life? Is Jesus only one of many well-meaning prophets who overstepped his boundary and he intrudes into the politically correct position that there must be many ways to God? 
And like I said, this was my greatest stumbling block. In my own stumbling block, the reason why I was so ignorant is because I was ignorant of the problem that human beings face. And I was ignorant of the solution. These words of Jesus fall deaf on millions of of, of people who watch like the princess of primetime TV, Oprah Winfrey. A Christian woman in an audience in her show asked, well, what about Jesus? And Oprah insisted that Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God. And the audience erupted. You have to remember that Oprah was raised a Baptist. But her faith had undergone a significant transformation towards New Age spirituality. Oprah denies the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ by teaching tens of millions of her viewers that there are many paths to God. Oprah doesn't simply represent the views of millions of Americans, but millions of even so-called Christians. Dr. Grotheis cited a Barna poll from the year 2000, which stated one out of four born-again Christians believe that it doesn't matter what faith you follow because all teach the same lessons and 56% of the non-Christians agreed with them. For many, Jesus isn't the way, but rather a way. And so they don't even see the absurdity and the contradictory nature of the claim. How can atheism and agnosticism, how can Buddhism and Confucianism, how can there be both no God and a God? How can there be many gods and one God? If there are many paths to heaven, why would Jesus speak such a horrible lie? Why would he make both such a false and selfish statement? Perhaps the greatest New Testament scholar of the 20th century, F.F. Bruce, wrote, He, Jesus, is in fact the only way by which men and women may come to the Father. There is no other way. If this seems offensively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate Word, the revealer of the Father. If God has no avenue of communication with mankind apart from His Word, mankind has no avenue of approach to God apart from that same word who became flesh and dwelt among us in order to supply this avenue of approach, unquote. What Dr. Bruce was saying is there is a bridge that has been built, that has been formed, if you will, between God and between humanity and whether or not God has truly and fully in reality revealed himself. Jesus is the way. Jesus doesn't simply show the way or tell the way. Jesus becomes and is the way to heaven. We can't get there by being good. And this becomes one of the greatest stumbling blocks. You don't know how many people have told me, I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I should get to go to heaven. And for some reason, no one has ever asked them this question, how good are you? Remember Jesus himself, when he was approached by a rich young ruler, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to inherit heaven? 
What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus rebuked them and said, why do you call me good? There's none good except God. What a profound statement. By the way, is Jesus good? Yes. And the only reason why it would be safe to call him good is because it's safe to call him God. Think for a moment about the direction and the condition for the entrance into heaven. Jesus says that he is the way to heaven. And by the way, we can't get there by being good because we'll never be good enough. Because any transgression is enough to disqualify us from heaven. So being good doesn't seem to be the answer. Going to church doesn't seem to be the answer. Saying your prayers doesn't seem to be the answer. You can't go to heaven by voting Republican. You can't go to heaven by voting Democrat. You can't go to heaven by balancing the budget or by staying out of debt or by plunging into debt. We do not go to heaven because of good deeds outweighing bad deeds. There are three necessary conditions for going to heaven, according to Jesus. Following, that's number one. Believing, that's number two. Living, that's number three. Following, believing, and living are all tied to one experience. And that experience is salvation. It's the experience of being born again. It's the experience of entering into a right relationship with God by having trusted Jesus. And I want to take you back just for a moment into the world of the first century Jew. I want you just for a moment to think like a Jewish person hearing these words for the first time. Jesus is addressing... Thomas, but clearly Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, the rest of the disciples are there. And the first century Jew would have spent hours upon hours upon hours talking about what it meant to walk with God. For the Jew, the way meant the way that a person walked with God, the Lord, the Lord had told Moses and then later repeated it to Joshua. He said, therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land in which which you shall possess. That's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 and 33. Later in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn to the right or to the left. He says, Only be strong and be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The psalmist wrote, Teach me your way, O Lord. And you'll remember that the psalmist wrote, Teach me your way that I might walk in your truth. 
give me an undivided heart. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he's talking about not simply the way that we walk. It isn't even simply the way we walk with God. It's the way we follow Jesus, that we go in the same direction that he's going. And you'll remember throughout the the New Testament, over and over again, Jesus invites people to follow him. And it isn't simply in principle, but in direction. When Jesus says, take up your cross, follow me, he's instructing people to go in a direction. This is both a way of life and the way to life. And so he says, I am the way, but he also says, I am the truth. Over and over again in John's gospel, I've defined that word for you, truth. Remember, true is something that corresponds to reality. Remember that in order for something to be true, it must be Incorrigible. That means not subject to to perfection. It's always perfect in and of itself. It must be immutable. That means not subject to change. And since truth is not subject to change and not subject to perfection, it must be true at all times and in all circumstances. We can define truth. We can debate truth. We can demand truth. But in the end, you can only do two things with the truth. You will accept it or you will reject it. You will embrace it or you will run from it. It was William Blake who said, A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. Jesus doesn't simply claim to tell the truth. He is the truth. And so faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the necessary condition for getting to heaven. And what does that mean? What does it mean to to believe and have faith in the Lord Jesus? It means to believe and have faith in the testimony that the Bible is true about Jesus. That He is both the Word of God and the Son of God. It means to have faith in the direction that He gives. It means embracing His Word of redemption, His death on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead. If we are to believe the Bible and believe its claims, we discover this amazing truth. Christ's claims are exclusive and not inclusive. It centers on himself and only himself. That means it denies and excludes all other claims. When Jesus claims to be the truth, there's something else that's happening. And do you know what that something else is? It's an invitation to believe him. The moment that he says that he is the truth, he invites you to believe that what he is saying is true. Carl F.H. Henry once wrote, some people live their whole life just around the corner from the world of truth. Isn't that true? They're right a little bit to the left. They're right a little bit to the right. 
They're walking and searching and wanting and needing. And when Jesus says, I am the life, Jesus doesn't simply claim to give life. He claims to be the source and the origin of life. As a matter of fact, remember in John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Bible speaks of God as being that being which has life in and of himself. Life proceeds from one source. That one source can be broken down into two categories, creation and procreation. Creation is origin. Procreation is birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, the religious leader, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Following, believing, living. The believer follows Jesus and believes Jesus and lives for Jesus. Believers live. Those who live follow. And now we see something that following and believing and living forms a chain of existence for the true believer. Do you know what that means? In part, it must mean that following Jesus and believing Jesus and living for Jesus isn't simply a moment in time and space. But it becomes a lifestyle. The evangelist Gypsy Smith said, The way to Jesus is not by Cambridge, or Oxford, or Glasgow, or Edinburgh, or London, or Princeton, or Harvard, or Yale, or Socrates, or Plato, or Shakespeare, or the poets. It's over an old-fashioned hill called Calvary. That's good. If we were to put it in modern terms, we could say that the way to Jesus is not Rome. And it's also not Colorado Springs. It's not Salt Lake City, Utah. It isn't ABC, NBC, CBS. It isn't Fox News. The way to Jesus is over an old-fashioned hill. It's called Calvary. It was Fidel Castro who said, I've always considered Christ to be one of the greatest revolutionaries in the history of humanity. Question. The fact that Fidel Castro has something nice to say about Jesus, do you think that that puts him in the camp of Christianity? Is it true that Jesus was a revolutionary? Oh, very definitely. But it wasn't about a revolution that's social political, or economic. It was a revolution of the heart. It was a revolution that requires and demands that the heart be restored and reconciled to a God that that, that, that heart is estranged from. Clearly, Castro doesn't believe and follow and live for Jesus. The singular problem of sin requires the singular solution. The Savior. This was the answer that my friend was unable to give me. You see, 
the moment that I said to my friend, what about the Hindus and what about the Buddhists? What about atheists and agnostics? What about people who have lived in faraway times? What about people who have never heard the claims of Jesus? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And the right answer in part becomes every single human being who has emerged from the womb of Eve, who has been born in every generation, has been, has been born estranged from God. Separated from God. In a painful circumstances of loneliness. Jesus is the singular Savior. And Jesus becomes the singular substitute for sin. There aren't five substitutes for sin or ten substitutes for sin. One Bible writer said, if Christ is not the substitute, he's nothing to the sinner. If he did not die as the sin bearer, he has died in vain. Let us not be deceived on this point, nor misled by those who, when they announce Christ as deliverer, think that they preach the gospel. If I throw a rope to a drowning man, I'm not a deliverer. But is Christ no more than that? If I cast myself into the sea and risk myself to save another, I am a deliverer. But is Christ no more? Did he risk his life? The very essence of Christ's deliverance is the substitution of himself for us. His life for ours. He didn't come to risk his life. He came to die. He did not redeem us by a little loss. He didn't redeem us by a little sacrifice. He didn't redeem us with a little labor, a little suffering. He redeemed us to God by His blood, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He gave all that He had. He gave His life for us. This is the kind of deliverance that awakens the happy song. To Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is why the believer can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. In order for someone to come to the Father, Jesus must go to the Father. Jesus will rise from the dead. He will ascend to the Father. Earlier, Jesus mentioned going to his father's house. But now he's going to the father, the father of the house. And by the way, the house without the father would certainly not be a home. The father outside of the home would cease to be heaven. We as believers do not want to simply go to heaven. We want to be with the Father. And we want to be with the Son. We desire to be in the presence of the Father forever. And we desire to be in the presence of the Son forever. And so in verse 7, look what Jesus says. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Some reading this passage has suggested that the Father is the Son. And that the Father and the Son are the Spirit. 
that they are just simply different titles or modes or manifestations of the one true God. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because the repeated testimony of the Scripture is that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit. The Father sent the Son. The Son goes on behalf of the Father. The Son prays to the Father and fulfills the Father's plans and purposes. What does this verse mean? How does knowing Jesus ensure knowledge of the Father? And how does seeing Jesus mean seeing the Father? The answer, very simply. Jesus Christ himself is the perfect revelation of the Father. The Son reveals the nature of the Father and the character of the Father and the plan of the Father and the purpose of the Father and the direction of the Father and the future of the Father. What does that mean to know the Father, by the way, the word translated know, appears 141 times in John's Gospel. But it doesn't always carry the same meaning. In John's Gospel, there seems to be four levels, if you will. Four aspects of knowing according to the Gospel of John. And the first level is existential. That means knowing something to be a fact or knowing something to be true. And the second level is knowing the truth behind that fact. Let me give you a quick example. We might walk outside and it's snowing and you look around and you say, it's snowing. And someone asks the question, why is it snowing? And we get out the meteorologists, you know, they come from the television and they say, it's because these cumulus clouds in the atmosphere, coupled with the, the drop in temperature, has caused the water to drop to a portion, forming particles of dust that attach itself to the moisture, which in turn falls to the earth. You know it's snowing and you know why it's snowing. You can know the facts. You can know the truth. You can even know the truth that supports the fact and still get wet and still be cold. You can know the facts and you can know the truth and you can know the truth that supports the facts and still be empty and still be lost and still be dead inside. And the third level introduces us to the concept of relationship, the word to know, meaning to believe, not just to believe in a fact or a truth or even the facts, the truth behind the facts, it's to believe in a person and then believe in such a way that you become related to that person. And by the way, that's the meaning of the word in John chapter 17, verse three, when Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It isn't just to know the fact or the, or the truth behind the fact. It's to be attached to that person in a personal way. Knowledge can fill a large brain. But it only inflates the small brain. Paul knew this when he wrote 
that knowledge puffs up, but that love edifies. The Bible in the Old Testament uses the word know in a euphemistic way in the sense of an intimate relationship in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It describes that level, that measure, if you will, of intimacy between a husband and a wife. The fourth level uses the term to speak of a deep relationship, a deep friendship. And this is the deep relationship and deep friendship that Paul alludes to in the book of Philippians when he says that I may know him. Same word. Jesus will describe this deeper relationship, by the way, later in the chapter in verses 19 through 23. And we'll talk more about it when we get there. Jesus doesn't claim to be simply the perfect revelation of God, although he is that. He claims to be God. Jesus alone reveals God. And by the way, the moment a person claims to reveal God in a way that is inconsistent with the revelation of Jesus, that person has either wittingly or unwittingly placed themselves in the position of being at odds with Jesus. How could you possibly believe that Jesus is the only way? Number one, because Jesus claims to be the only way. Number two, the singular problem of sin throughout all of humanity. Number three, the singular solution, a Savior. There aren't many saviors. The early church knew this, and the first Christians taught this. That only Jesus offers the final solution for sin. And that's why in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 we hear the apostles saying, Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When Oprah says, There must be another name under heaven given among human beings by which we must be saved, we're automatically left in a, in, a, in a quandary. And the quandary is this. Who will you believe? What will be the source of authority that you will trust? We all want to know what heaven looks like. We even want to know what the Father looks like. Jesus is the human manifestation of the divine, the physical incarnation of the Spirit. The Lord God said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live, it says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. God is invisible. He can't be seen. He can't be seen physically. But He can be seen spiritually. When the eyes of faith begin to open. It was A.W. Tozer who was fond of saying, To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with human beings. Do you realize that sometimes the kindest thing that you can do for a person is to tell them the truth? Even when the truth is painful. You might be thinking, but that's going to harm them or even give them pain. There's no more serious harm. And there is no greater pain than the darkness 
and the emptiness and the loneliness and the wickedness that keeps a person estranged from God. It was Martin Luther who said, either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is resting on Christ, you are free. And you will be saved. Now choose what you want. That's the choice, isn't it? Choose what you want. To be your own Savior? Or to or the Savior? I misspoke earlier when I said there's only one way to God. There are actually two. One is through Jesus Christ. The second way to God is on your own. But I'm here to tell you that if you go on your own, if you go in your own terms, if you go in your own righteousness, if you go bearing the fruit of your own life, you will not be accepted. You will be rejected. Heaven is a prepared place for people who have a prepared heart. Question. Has Jesus prepared a place for you? Have you prepared your heart for heaven? One of the ways to answer that question is even with what Jesus says. I am the way. Are you following? I am the truth. Are you believing? I am the life. Are you living? Is your life characterized by an unconditional commitment to follow Jesus and believe Jesus and live for Jesus now? Not following, believing, and living sometime in the past, but following and believing and living in the here and the now. That's the difference. There's a place prepared for you. But the heart has to be prepared for that place. And the preparation includes receiving Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Loving Jesus. Following Jesus. Believing Jesus and living for Jesus. Let's stand. We're going to pray in just a moment here. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that this is a stumbling block for so many. They balk at the claims of Christ. But Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that each and every one of us will consider and embrace the reality of what Jesus is saying about himself. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who finds themselves in a position where they can't quite believe that what Jesus is saying is true, but Lord, I pray that their doubt would bring them to a place of trust. 
as they investigate the claims of Jesus. But for that person who finds themselves in an empty place, in a dark place, in a lonely place, in a guilty place, in a place of fear instead of love, in a place of condemnation instead of hope, Lord, I pray that you would extend the invitation to that man and that woman to fill their heart with hope. To fill their heart with love. To fill their heart with joy. Lord, I pray that you would communicate to them that you've prepared a place for them. And that now you would like them to prepare their heart for an eternal residence. A place where Jesus can dwell freely and fully forever. Lord, I pray that they would open the door of their heart to receive you. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come down. You see, when Jesus called people to follow him, when Jesus called people to believe him, when Jesus called people to live for him, he did so publicly and openly. And if you've never made that decision to follow him, to believe him, to live for him. I'm going to invite you to do that now while we close in this final song. So, Heavenly Father, again, I pray that as you've prepared heaven, that you have prepared hearts. And that those who need to follow you and believe you and live for you, that they would come forward, Lord. That they would openly declare their love and their loyalty for you. Just like you openly declared your love and your loyalty for us. in the singular solution of sin, a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.